Section 14 of Journal of a Residence on a Georgian Plantation, 1838-1839. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Journal of a Residence on a Georgian Plantation, 1838-1839 by francis ann kimball section fourteen my letter has been interrupted dear e by the breaking up of our residence on the rice plantation and our arrival at st simon's whence i now address you we came down yesterday afternoon and i was thankful enough of the fifteen miles row to rest in from the labour of leave-taking with which the whole morning was taken up and which, combined with packing and preparing all our own personalities and those of the children, was no sinecure. At every moment one or other of the poor people rushed in upon me to bid me good-bye. Many of their farewells were grotesque enough, some were pathetic, and all of them made me very sad. Poor people! How little I have done! How little I can do for them! I had a long talk with that interesting and excellent man, Cooper London, who made an earnest petition that I would send him from the North a lot of Bibles and prayer-books. Certainly the science of reading must be much more common among the Negroes than I supposed, or London must look to a marvelously increased spread of the same hereafter. There is, however, considerable reticence upon this point, or else the poor slaves must consider the mere possession of the holy books as good for salvation and as effectual for spiritual assistance to those who cannot as to those who can comprehend them since the news of our departure has spread i have had repeated eager entreaties of presence of bibles and prayer-books and to my demurrer of but you can't read can you have generally received for answer a reluctant acknowledgment of ignorance which however did not always convince me of the fact. In my farewell conversation with London, I found it impossible to get him to tell me how he had learned to read. The penalties for teaching them are very severe, heavy fines, increasing in amount for the first and second offense, and imprisonment for the third. Footnote. These laws have been greatly increased in stringency and severity since these letters were written and death has not been reckoned too heavy a penalty for those who should venture to offer these unfortunate people the fruit of that forbidden tree of knowledge their access to which has appeared to their owners the crowning danger of their own precarious existence among their terrible dependents End of footnote. such a man as london is certainly aware that to teach the slaves to read is an illegal act and he may have been unwilling to betray whoever had been his preceptor, even to my knowledge. At any rate, I got no answers from him, but, Well, missus, me learn. Well, missus, me try, and finally, Well, missus, me spose heaven help me. To which I could only reply that I knew heaven was helpful, but very hardly to the tune of teaching folks their letters. I got no satisfaction. Old Jacob, the father of Abraham, Cook John, and poor Psyche's husband, 
took a most solemn and sad leave of me, saying he did not expect ever to see me again. I could not exactly tell why, because, though he is aged and infirm, the fifteen miles between the rice plantation and St. Simon's do not appear so insuperable a barrier between the inhabitants of the two places, which I represented to him as a suggestion of consolation. I have worked my fingers nearly off with making, for the last day or two, innumerable rolls of coarse little baby clothes, layettes for the use of small newborn slaves, blank diligently cutting and shaping, and I as diligently stitching. We leave a good supply for the hospitals and for the individual clients besides who have besieged me ever since my departure became imminent. Our voyage from the rice to the cotton plantation was performed in the lily, which looked like a soldier's baggage wagon and an emigrant transport combined. Our crew consisted of eight men. Forward in the bow were miscellaneous livestock, pots, pans, household furniture, kitchen utensils, and an indescribable variety of heterogeneous necessaries. Enthroned upon beds, bedding, tables, and other chattels, sat that poor pretty chattel Psyche, with her small chattel children. Midships sat the two tiny free women and myself, and in the stern Mr. Blank steering. And all in the blue unclouded weather we rowed down the huge stream, the men keeping time and tune to their oars, with extemporaneous chaunts of adieu to the rice island and its denizens. Among other poetical and musical comments on our departure recurred the assertion, as a sort of burthen, that we were parted in body but not in mind from those we left behind. Having relieved one set of sentiments by this reflection, they very wisely betook themselves to the consideration of the blessings that remained to them, and performed a spirited chaunt in honor of Psyche and our bouncing black housemaid Mary. At the end of a fifteen miles row, we entered one among a perfect labyrinth of arms or branches into which the broad river ravels like a fringe as it reaches the sea, a dismal navigation along a dismal tract called Five Pound, through a narrow cut or channel of water divided from the main stream. The conch was sounded, as at our arrival at the rice island, and we made our descent on the famous long staple cotton island of St. Simon's, where we presently took up our abode in what had all the appearance of an old half-decayed rattling farmhouse. This morning, Sunday, I peeped round its immediate neighborhood and saw, to my inexpressible delight, within hail, some noble-looking evergreen oaks, and close to the house itself a tiny would-be garden, a plot of ground with one or two peach-trees in full blossom tufts of silver narcissus and jonquils, a quantity of violets, and an exquisite myrtle-bush. Wherefore I said my prayers with especial gratitude. Dearest E, the fame of my peculiar requisitions has, I find, preceded me here, for the babies that have been presented to my admiring notice have all been without caps also, however, without socks to their opposite little wretched extremities, but that does not signify quite so much. The people, too, that I saw yesterday were remarkably clean and tidy, to be sure it was Sunday. 
the whole day till quite late in the afternoon the house was surrounded by a crowd of our poor dependents waiting to catch a glimpse of mr blank myself or the children and until from sheer weariness i was obliged to shut the doors an incessant stream poured in and out whose various modes of salutation greeting and welcome were more grotesque and pathetic at the same time than anything you could imagine in the afternoon i walked with blank to see a new house in process of erection which when it is finished is to be the overseer's abode and our residence during any future visits we may pay to the estate i was horrified at the dismal site selected and the hideous house erected on it it is true that the central position is the principal consideration in the overseer's location but both position and building seem to me to witness to an inveterate love of ugliness or at any rate a deadness to every desire of beauty nothing short of horrible and for my own part i think it is intolerable to have to leave the point where the waters meet and where a few fine picturesque old trees are scattered about to come to this place even for the very short time i am ever likely to spend here in every direction our view as we returned was bounded by thickets of the most beautiful and various evergreen growth which beckoned my inexperience most irresistibly blank said to my unutterable horror that they were perfectly infested with rattlesnakes and i must on no account go beating about the bush in these latitudes as the game i should be likely to start would be anything but agreeable to me we saw quantities of wild plum-trees all silvery with blossoms and in lovely companionship and contrast with them a beautiful shrub covered with delicate pink bloom-like flowering peach-trees after that life in the rice-swamp where the altamaha kept looking over the dike at me all the time as i sat in the house writing or working it is pleasant to be on terra firma again and to know that the river is at the conventional not to say natural depth below its banks and under my feet instead of over my head the two plantations are of diametrically opposite dispositions that is all swamp and this all sand or to speak more accurately that is all swamp and all of this that is not swamp is sand on our way home we met a most extraordinary creature of the negro kind who coming towards us halted and caused us to halt straight in the middle of the path when bending himself down till his hands almost touched the ground he exclaimed to mr blank massa blank you're most obedient and then with a kick and a flourish altogether indescribable he drew to the side of the path to let us pass which we did perfectly shouting with laughter which broke out again every time we looked at each other and stopped to take breath so sudden grotesque uncouth and yet dexterous a gumbato never came into the brain or out of the limbs of anything but a nigger i observed among the numerous groups that we passed or met a much larger proportion of mulattoes than at the rice island upon asking mr blank why this was so he said that there no white person could land without his or the overseer's permission whereas on st simon's which is a large island containing several plantations belonging to different owners of course the number of whites both residing on and visiting the place was much greater and the opportunity for intercourse between the blacks and whites 
much more frequent. While we were still on this subject, a horrid-looking filthy woman met us with a little child in her arms, a very light mulatto, whose extraordinary resemblance to driver Bran, one of the officials who had been duly presented to me on my arrival, and who was himself a mulatto, struck me directly. I pointed it out to Mr. Blank, who merely answered, very likely his child. And, said I, did you never remark that driver Bran is the exact image of Mr. Blank? Very likely his brother, was the reply, all which rather unpleasant state of relationships seemed accepted as such a complete matter of course that I felt rather uncomfortable, and said no more about who was like who, but came to certain conclusions in my own mind as to a young lad who had been among our morning visitors, and whose extremely light color and straight handsome features and striking resemblance to Mr. Blank had suggested suspicions of a rather unpleasant nature to me, and whose sole acknowledged parent was a very black negress of the name of Menda. I have no doubt at all now that he is another son of Mr. Blank, Mr. Blank's paragon overseer. As we drew near the house again, we were gradually joined by such a numerous escort of Mr. Blank's slaves that it was almost with difficulty we could walk along the path. They buzzed and hummed and swarmed round us like flies, and the heat and dust consequent upon this friendly companionship were a most unpleasant addition to the labor of walking in the sandy soil through which we were ploughing. I was not sorry when we entered the house and left our bodyguard outside. In the evening I looked over the plan of the delightful residence I had visited in the morning, and could not help suggesting to Mr. Blank the advantage to be gained in point of picturesqueness by merely turning the house round. It is but a wooden frame one, after all, and your folks down east would think no more of inviting it to face about than if it was built of cards. But the fact is, here nothing signifies except the cotton crop, and whether one's nose is in a swamp and one's eyes in a sand-heap is of no consequence whatever either to oneself, if oneself was not I, or anyone else. I find here an immense proportion of old people. The work and the climate of the rice plantation require the strongest of the able-bodied men and women of the estate. The cotton crop is no longer by any means as paramount in value as it used to be, and the climate, soil, and labor of St. Simon's are better adapted to old, young, and feeble cultivators than the swamp fields of the rice island. I wonder if I ever told you of the enormous decrease in value of this same famous Sea Island long-staple cotton. When Major Blank, Mr. Blank's grandfather, first sent the produce of this plantation where we now are to England, it was of so fine a quality that it used to be quoted by itself in the Liverpool cotton market, and was then worth half a guinea a pound. It is now not worth a shilling a pound. This was told me by the gentleman in Liverpool who has been factor for this estate for thirty years. Such a decrease as this in the value of one's crop and the steady increase at the same time of a slave population, now numbering between seven hundred and eight hundred bodies to clothe and house, mouths to feed, while the land is being exhausted by the careless and wasteful nature of the agriculture itself, suggests a pretty serious prospect of declining prosperity. 
and indeed unless these georgia cotton planters can command more land or lay abundant capital which they have not being almost all of them over head and ears in debt upon that which has already spent its virgin vigor it is a very obvious thing that they must all very soon be eaten up by their own property the rice plantations are a great thing to fall back upon under these circumstances and the rice crop is now quite as valuable if not more so than the cotton one on mr blank's estates once so famous and prosperous through the latter i find any number of all but superannuated men and women here whose tales of the former grandeur of the estate and family are like things one reads of in novels one old woman who crawled to see me and could hardly lift her poor bowed head high enough to look in my face had been in major blank's establishment in philadelphia and told with infinite pride of having waited upon his daughters and granddaughters mr blank's sisters yet here she is flung by like an old rag crippled with age and disease living or rather dying by slow degrees in a miserable hovel such as no decent household servant would at the north i suppose ever set their foot in the poor old creature complained bitterly to me of all her ailments and all her wants i can do little alas for either i had a visit from another tottering old crone called dorcas who all but went on her knees as she wrung and kissed my hands whither came my friend molly the grandmother of the poor runaway girl louisa whose story i wrote you some little time ago i had to hear it all over again it being the newest event evidently in molly's life and it ended as before with the highly reasonable proposition me say missus what for massa's nigger run away snake eat em up or they starve to death in a swamp massa's niggers they don't never run away if i was massa's niggers i s'pose i shouldn't run away either with only those alternatives but when i look at these wretches and at the sea that rolls round this island and think how near the english west indies and freedom are it gives me a pretty severe twinge at the heart dearest e i am afraid my letters must be becoming very wearisome to you for if as the copy-book runs variety is charming they certainly cannot be so unless monotony is also charming a thing not impossible to some minds but of which the copy-book makes no mention but what will you as the french say my days are no more different from one another than peas in a dish or sands on the shore tis a pleasant enough life to live for one who like myself has a passion for dullness but it affords small matter for epistolary correspondence i suppose it is this surfeit of excitement that i had in my youth that has made a life of quiet monotony so extremely agreeable to me it is like stillness after loud noise twilight after glare rest after labor there is enough strangeness too in everything that surrounds me here to interest and excite me agreeably and sufficiently and i should like the wild savage loneliness of the far-away existence extremely if it were not for the one small item of the slavery i had a curious visit this morning from half a dozen of the women among whom were driver morris's wife and venus a hideous old goddess she was to be sure 
driver brand's mother they came especially to see the children who were always eagerly asked for and hugely admired by their sooty dependents these poor women went into ecstasies over the little white piccaninnies and were loud and profuse in their expressions of gratitude to massa blank for getting married and having children a matter of thankfulness which though it always makes me laugh very much is a most serious one to them for the continuance of the family keeps the estate and slaves from the hammer and the poor wretches besides seeing in every new child born to their owners a security against their own banishment from the only home they know and separation from all ties of kindred and habit and dispersion to distant plantations not unnaturally look for a milder rule from masters who are the children of their father's masters the relation of owner and slave may be expected to lose some of its harsher features and no doubt in some instances does so when it is on each side the inheritance of successive generations and so blank slaves laud and applaud and thank and bless him for having married and endowed their children with two little future mistresses one of these women a diana by name went down on her knees and uttered in a loud voice a sort of extemporaneous prayer of thanksgiving at our advent in which the sacred and the profane were most ludicrously mingled her thanks to the good lord god almighty that missus had come would give the poor nigger sugar and flannel and that massa blank him that brought the missus and the two little misses down among the people were really too grotesque and yet certainly more sincere acts of thanksgiving are not often uttered among the solemn and decorous ones that are offered up to heaven for benefits received i find the people here much more inclined to talk than those on the rice island they have less to do and more leisure and bestow it very liberally on me moreover the poor old women of whom there are so many turned out to grass here and of whom i have spoken to you before though they are past work are by no means past gossip and the stories they have to tell of the former government of the estate under old massa blank are certainly pretty tremendous illustrations of the merits of slavery as a moral institution this man the father of the late owner mr blank blank was major blank's agent in the management of this property and a more cruel and unscrupulous one as regards the slaves themselves whatever he may have been in his dealings with the master i should think it would be difficult to find even among the cruel and unscrupulous class to which he belonged in a conversation with old house molly as she is called to distinguish her from all other mollies on the estate she having had the honor of being a servant in major blank's house for many years i asked her if the relation between men and women who are what they call married i e who have agreed to live together as man and wife the only species of marriage formerly allowed on the estate i believe now london may read the marriage service to them was considered binding by the people themselves and by the overseer she said not much formerly and that the people couldn't be expected to have much regard to such an engagement utterly ignored as it was by mr blank whose invariable rule if he heard of any disagreement between a man and woman calling themselves married was immediately to bestow them in marriage on other parties whether they chose it or not by which summary process the slightest incompatibility of temper received the relief of a divorce more rapid and easy than even germany could afford 
and the estate lost nothing by any prolongation of celibacy on either side. Of course, the misery consequent upon such arbitrary destruction of voluntary and imposition of involuntary ties was nothing to Mr. Blank. I was very sorry to hear today that Mr. Blank, the overseer at the Rice Island, of whom I have made mention to you more than once in my letters, had had one of the men flogged very severely for getting his wife baptized. I was quite unable, from the account I received, to understand what his objection had been to the poor man's desire to make his wife at least a formal Christian. But it does seem dreadful that such an act should be so visited. I almost wish I was back again at the Rice Island, for though this is every way a pleasanter residence, I hear so much more that is intolerable of the treatment of the slaves from those I find here, that my life is really made wretched by it. There is not a single natural right that is not taken away from these unfortunate people, and the worst of all is that their condition does not appear to me, upon further observation of it, to be susceptible of even partial alleviation as long as the fundamental evil, the slavery itself, remains. End of section 14. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.